Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemog podcast. We are a global, open access, multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be sharing highlights from the International Workshop on Chronic Lymphocytic Leukemia Biennial Meeting, which took place in 2021. Firstly, we'll hear from Paolo Aguilla of the Vita Saluti San Rafael University and IRCCS San Rafael Hospital in Milan, who's going to discuss how genetic markets are being used to refine standard treatment approaches for CLL. Here at the IWCLL meeting, I had the possibility to speak about, discuss about the standards in CLL and how we should refine now CLL management and treatment in the light of the normal treatment that we have. And indeed, I think that it's really a very dynamic period. So I think that the message that I try to deliver that we don't have any more standards meaning that uh, in the recent past, uh, we had the FCR, fluorabin, cyclophosphamide, and rituxima for the, elderly, for the young fit patients. We had chlorambucil-based treatment for the elderly unfit, and we had bendamastin-based treatment for those in between, so uh, old but still fit. Uh, this is not anymore the case because now, thanks to the uh, studies and thanks to the genetic stratification based on P53 abnormalities and uh, immunoglobulin gene status, uh, now we can really stratify the patient based on this feature plus the fitness of the patient, the, the, the age of the patient, but also, for example, the, the comorbidities and the possibility to tolerate the, the new treatment. So all this together makes it that we don't have any more standard and we are looking for new standards and which will probably be very selective, very, very personalized based on this, uh, uh, on this information that we will gather uh, about each single patient. We may say that nowadays we have a standard which is the continuous BTKI treatment for patients with P53 aberration because at the moment is the one that has the longest follow-up, the best uh, probably uh, efficacy in the long run. Uh, we might say that uh, for the young uh, or for all patients with mutated immunoglobulin genes, we can really forget uh, immunochemotherapy and use a fixed duration like venetoplast plus or venetuzumab. In between is really a decision of all patients where we know that the continuous treatment with BTKI for unmutated patients, for example, is uh, uh, very beneficial with uh, now seven years follow-up and not uh, a the median PFS not yet reached. But on the other side, there is the issue of the continuous treatment versus a, a, a fixed duration treatment, which might be preferred by the patients. And now we know that we have indeed in this category of patients with venetoclast plus abinotuzumab, we have a median PFS that has been reached, but it's close to five years. So I think that the, it's a very dynamic field. Uh, we don't have standards. We are looking for, for standards, but any standards will be somehow overruled, overcome by a new standard that will come up. And that thanks to the research that is continually improving the man management of our patients. Next up, Barbara Eichhorst from the University Hospital Cologne in Germany talks on how current treatment approaches can be optimized, focusing on the combination of BCL2 inhibitors and BTK inhibitors. In 2021, in CLL and many countries where um, the targeted drugs as BTK inhibitors as well as BCL2 inhibitors are approved and also reimbursed, um, we have for patients, particularly with high risk features, including patients with TP53C mutation or aberration, as well as patients with unmutated ITBE status, 
um, the choice between continuous duration um, treatment with a BTK inhibitor versus um, time-limited treatment with a BCL2 inhibitor in combination with a CD20 antibody. And there are different pros and cons for each of these therapies. And I think that's the task right now for every physician to discuss with the patient which of those two treatment options is the optimal one, depending not only on the risk factors, um, where we see where we see this is a, maybe some disadvantage with respect to shorter time to relapse with time-limited treatment, but having the option of retreatment there on the other hand, um, and on the other hand, um, also um, the choice between continuous treatment, therefore cumulative side effects um, on the one hand side with continuous BTK inhibitors, on the other side for these substances. Um, the very good handling um, with only few physician contacts while we have the ramp-up period with um, the BCO2 inhibitors um, at the beginning and therefore many contacts um, with, um, with the physician and therefore also more frequent visits at the hospital. So this might be a play particularly a role in patients who have not so easy access to the next um, um, hematologist um, or to the next center. Um, with um, respect to other criteria, which one is, which of these treatments is really more efficacious and which was the best one, we have to admit we don't know yet. In particular, now with the upcoming double combination of PTK inhibitor plus venetoplax, given this time-limited therapy, um, the question is also here open. Once this combination is approved, is this better then continuous treatment with BTK inhibitor or um, BCL2 inhibitor plus CD20 antibody. Um, this address and um, this question will be addressed in the CL17 trial by the German study group. But I think we will need a couple of years until we have the answer from this trial, um, as well as maybe from other trials as um, from the UK group. Now, Lydia Scarfo from the Vita Saluti San Rafael University and IRCCS San Rafael Scientific Institute in Milan is going to discuss the use of prognostic markers for the optimization of the treatment of CLL. In the IWCLL session, uh, we are uh, discussing um, how to manage the patient with CLL in frontline. And um, the main topics were actually related to the definition of uh, um, factors relevant for selecting treatment choice uh, and uh, how to define uh, with the availability of novel agents uh, high-risk patients because uh, uh, standard uh, predictions factors applied in the era of chemomonotherapy probably are not exactly uh, applicable uh, to the treatment with uh, targeted agents. Um, and uh, these all through with um, different factors, uh, including uh, TP53 aberrations. Um, so, uh, for example, complex karyotype and uh, immunoglobulin G mutation status and uh, in particular stereotype subset uh, still uh, seem to play a relevant role uh, in defining the depth of response and long-term uh, disease control. 
um, and uh, also there are of course patients uh, related factors that should be taken into account while uh, when selecting first line treatment uh, including the comorbidities profile because many of the patients we uh, are treating uh, in first line with targeted agents uh, of course uh, um, concomitant um, uh, diseases that uh, may influence the, especially the tolerance to uh, novel treatments. And uh, I'm particularly referring to uh, cardiac comorbidities and uh, uh, impaired renal functions. Um, and also in this uh, frontline uh, session, uh, we discuss if there is any role anymore for chemoimmunotherapy. And uh, um, uh, Matthew Davids from Dana Farber presented actually uh, the current available results of clinical trials uh, where uh, chemoimmunotherapy is combined with targeted agents uh, um, to obtain uh, deeper and long-lasting responses uh, and uh, still um, administer um, fixed duration or time-limited treatments. Um, so, of course, uh, patients uh, who are uh, candidates to um, chemoimmunotherapy combined with novel agents uh, have a very, uh, let's say, specific profile, meaning that they are young without relevant comorbidities. Um, so, in this setting, uh, the, the combination of chemoimmunotherapy and targeted agents uh, is currently uh, considered, but only in uh, clinical trials. And we still have to see if there is uh, any advantage in combining uh, these uh, different mechanisms of actions in terms uh, of long-term disease control. Next up, Adrian Weissman from the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda is going to talk on current methods which can be used to sequence targeted therapies for patients who have progressed on standard of care regimens, as well as commenting on a novel agent which is currently in clinical trials that could be used to counter BTK inhibitor resistance. How do we make choices about treatment? Um, what kind of treatment do you start with? What treatment do you select for uh, patients who have relapsed refractory CLO? And what are potential strategies to uh, sequence therapies? And now that we have a number of choices in the targeted era um, of CLO therapy, it, this is really <laughs> becoming a an important question and sometimes also a cause of anguish for patients of, well, do I make the right choice? Do I start with the best treatment for me? My typical answer to that is, well, you know, this um, dilemma of making the right choice actually means you have choices and it means you can adjust the treatment plan if it's not working out uh, the way it was conceived at the beginning. We don't have a lot of data for all the possible combinations, but what we know, because PDK inhibitors have been basically the leading edge of this uh, targeted therapy revolution, is that when patients progress on PDK inhibitors, often with um, mutations that affect the binding of um, the covalent inhibitors to BTK. There are now um, options. One commonly used option is to switch to venetoclax at the time of uh, progression on a BTK inhibitor. And that is an efficacious strategy. 
it depends a little bit maybe on the context in which this switch is made. Uh, but typically uh, all the patients or the, the vast majority of patients respond to the switch to venetoclax. There are studies that suggest that um, with time, there is a higher uh, chance of developing also progression to venetoclax when it is used after failure of BTK inhibitor therapy compared to when it's used as the first targeted agent. So maybe this would eventually also be a setting where we would wanna explore combination therapies. The other um, important option that becomes available now in clinical trials for patients who progress on BTK inhibitors would be to um, to investigate the use of a non-covalent inhibitor. And we've seen in exciting data presented also here at IWCLO of pyrotrutinib, uh, which is a, um, a compound that um, non-covalently can inhibit BTK, even if there is this cysteine 481 mutation. So that uh, reasonably is another uh, sequence switching from a covalent BTK inhibitor right now on clinical trials to a non-covalent BTK inhibitor. And other options, maybe especially when patients um, have gone through both BTK and venetoclax, um, these, there are um, still um, PI3K delta inhibitors that could be used in that setting possibly with less um, response duration, but potentially as a bridging therapy to either CAR T cells or potentially in that setting, even still allogeneic stem cell transplantation. The other sequence is uh, increasingly, of course, when etoplax can be used as frontline therapies, approved and shown to be very efficacious as a frontline therapy, time-limited. So when these patients progress, um, depending on how soon after stopping drug, um, it may be reasonable to just start venetoclax. And there's good data that um, the response rates to that approach are high. There's also good data now that um, switching to a BTK or instituting therapy with a BTK inhibitor after progression of first-line venetoclax is also a reasonable strategy. So I think really many options that, um, and again, we'd really like to highlight the reassuring part here is that because we have these options, it should be possible in most settings to actually come up with a good plan for patients who need treatment. Finally, Richard Rosenkiss from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm discusses the relevance of current prediction and prognostication markers in the era of targeted therapies. So during my talk at the IWCLL meeting, I bring up the question, are we ready for precision medicine for patients with CLL? And I argue that we already today are performing the two pillars of precision medicine. That is precision diagnostics. We use different genetic tests to identify patients with high risk. And we also have precision drugs, drugs that are um, uh, that affect certain pathways, in particular BTK inhibitors and, and BCL2 inhibitors. And uh, um, 
Of course, there have been a lot of discussions lately and also during the IWCLL meeting. What is the impact of different uh, uh, genetic markers um, in the new era of target therapy? And um, um, yesterday, I summarized um, the, the impact of, for instance, P50 aberrations in the era of chemoimmunotherapy and what we have learned if they still are relevant to identify um, in the era of targeted therapies. And um, in general, I would say that they are still uh, important to detect P50 aberrations with fish analysis and sequencing of the TP53 gene. If we go on for IDH mutation status, which we know is both a prognostic and predictive marker, we can see that in the, uh, with target therapy, at least for, for um, BTK inhibitors uh, and also BCL2 inhibitors, um, we, um, the unmutated CLL group benefit um, uh, strongly from, from these new target therapies. Um, but uh, the prognostic impact of the IDH mutation status is uh, not uh, so strong anymore with the new target therapies. For complex karyotype, there's been a lot of discussion with complex karyotype. We know that that is linked to a worse outcome um, with chemoimmunotherapy. Um, so what about complex karyotype with novel agents? Um, of course, we need um, larger studies. It seems to be a strong a negative prognostic marker in, in the relapse refractory setting, whereas it's not uh, uh, that clear yet uh, regarding treatment naive patients. Um, but I think that this will be also a predictive marker. Then we were also discussing uh, other type of, of genetic markers such as stereotype substitute. And uh, it has been shown in retrospective study that, that the patients do not benefit from chemoimmunotherapy, but we are still lacking data uh, regarding effect of um, uh, targeted therapy. And finally, uh, there have been a lot of interest regarding recurrent gene mutations, and um, in, uh, that had been shown to be prognostic uh, in, in, uh, with previous chemoimmunotherapy. But if we look at the new agents, it's not, um, or we are partly lacking data, but there are uh, so far. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to VJ Hemont Podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean, and follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemont to stay updated with the latest CLL news.